Welcome to Reteach, a place where professors know that student equity gaps can be closed and are willing to put in the work to figure it out. We are dedicated to our teaching and our students. We are passionate about improving our classrooms and our communities. We can make a difference. We will make a difference. I am your host, Bruce Hoskins, and my mind and heart are ready to learn. So what's up, everyone? So, hey, this episode, we are going to focus on an executive order that was just passed uh, that put heavy restrictions on diversity and equity training that's happening in federal facilities or spaces that uh, receive heavy federal funding. Right. And they're doing this in an effort to, uh, as it says in the in the executive order, to promote unity in the federal workforce and to combat offensive and anti-American race and sex stereotyping and scapegoating, right? And this is an important uh, thing for us to address and reteach because, look, I'm going to be honest with you, if these things are wrong, right, if all of these things are wrong, and I'm going to go point for point uh, in the spaces that um, that this that this executive order uh, points out and uh, and emphasizes, I'm going to go point for point in these spaces. And you know what? There's some things that I uh, agree with that if it's happening, it shouldn't happen anymore. Uh, but there's other things that need explaining. And there's other things that I just straight up disagree with. Right. And I refuse. Really. I want to make sure to to say this uh, as clearly and boldly as possible. I refuse to make this into a political issue. Right. This is not about the current president. This is about diversity and equity and training and teaching. It'll always be that in this space. Um, I, you know, and so, uh, because quite honestly, after this president um, is gone, whether that's in another month or whether that's in another four years, this issue is still going to be here. And so therefore it is not about him. It is about, right, about the future of our country, Right. And, and, and about diversity and equity training and what it is and what it should be and what we're doing here in reteach, why we're listening, why we're trying to get better, why we're trying to close equity gaps, uh, because we believe it. We believe we can close equity gaps. And so um, so anyway, look, so they had like eight points in here um, that, uh, you know, they're, they're saying, OK, your your diversity program cannot do this. Right. And so I'm like, and so I'm looking at some of these like, okay, so what diversity program is doing, you know, diversity and equity program is doing this. Right. And so the first thing they say is like, you cannot, uh, your diversity and equity program, uh, your diversity training cannot uh, have a say that one sex or race um, is inherently superior to another race or sex. And look, I'm going to tell you right now, folks, unapologetically, I'm going to focus in on the race side of the equation. Um, that's where my expertise is. And so I'm just going to, um, and that's where I'm just hitting things right off the top of my head. Um, and just saying, right. Like that's, that's who I am. And, um, you know, maybe next time or whatever it's like, if I was doing this with someone else, or maybe I should co-host it with someone. Um, but you know what? COVID-19 got everything going crazy and I'm look, just saying, right. Just, just putting that out there. But anyway, so like I said, unapologetically, I'm only saying that once, uh, that I am focusing on race because that is my expertise 
And that should be okay, right, uh, in this space. So anyway, and so what I'm looking at, right, so they're saying one race or sex is not inherently superior to another race or sex, right? Your your program cannot promote that. And I'm like, well, what program is promoting that one race or sex is inherently superior to another race or sex? It's like, well, look, the first thing I need to figure out is what do they mean by the word inherently? Because I, I don't use that word. And so I, I, you know, look, I looked it up. Right. And so inherently is Google help me out with this. And it's like it it, ref, it refers to um, that it's permanent is something that's regarded as permanent, essential or characteristic. Right. Of a certain ways. Right. And so um, and so when I'm thinking of inherently superior. Right. It's like they're saying permanently superior. Let's just flip, flip these words out. Right. I help. I surely do not agree with that. That is an ideology. Right. But the idea of that this is permanent. Right. The, the that racism, white supremacy is permanent. That's I don't believe in that at all. Right. Um, that it's essential to how we run as a country. Absolutely not. It is not essential. I'm not saying that it doesn't. I'm saying. But I do agree with the last part that it's characteristic, characteristic. Right. Racism, sexism, the idea, this belief of of uh, that one races or one sex superiority uh, in the workforce and society. Um, it's definitely characteristic of what we have in the United States. But I would argue that is it does not need to be permanent. And it does, and it surely doesn't need to be essential, right? That's what we're trying to do and reteach. We're trying to retrain, reteach ourselves out of these spaces. And so just saying, right? So I agree with characteristic. That's okay. But permanent and essential, I'm like, nah, if your program is doing that, you just step away from this. However, they actually included some quotes in here. And I'm like, okay, if this is what you meant by inherently superior or like like this idea that the the, the inherent part of this then I got questions, right? So this is what they they quoted. They said, so programs that say things like virtually all white people, regardless of how woke they are, contribute to racism. Well, that's not about being inherently superior or inferior or anything like that. That's literally the functionality of how white supremacy works in the United States, right? That, that, that white people, regardless of how woke they are, they contribute to racism. Yes. <laughs> now, look, that may be offensive to you. I'm not saying that other people don't contribute to white supremacy and racism. Also, I'm just saying, though, right, is that 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 sentence is not the same thing as saying that you're promoting that one group is inherently superior to another group. Right. Um, here's another quote that they pulled. They said that. Um, they said they, you know, like programs are saying that racism is interwoven into every fabric of America. Again, that is 100% absolutely correct. And so when I'm thinking of inherent, maybe they meant, it's like, here I am trying to get into the mindset of this and going, maybe they were thinking of inherit, right? Or something like that versus inherent. And I, whatever, I'm not even going to try to mince words here. Uh, or to, to pick these words out. What I'm saying, though, right, is that if if the translation of virtually all white people, regardless of how woke they are, contribute to racism and that racism is interwoven into every fabric of America, if the translation is that that's promoting that white people are inherently superior to another race or something like that, or that 
I, I, well, I don't know, but that's the quotes that they're using in order to get into this space. And I'm like, look, I don't know how you, how you translate that into inherently superior, but that's what they were citing in order to say these programs are not okay. And so then, like I said, that's, that's something for us to think about. Now, here's the other part of this. And I'm like, okay, look, because I, I listen to enough uh, different political and academic opinions and research, well, political opinions, academic research about things. And I get that. Um, and I understand um, that there's a lot of folks out there who think that talking about white supremacy is in some way, shape or form promotes white supremacy. Right. And, and there's nothing that could be further from the truth. Right. Is that this, this idea of white supremacy or the, the concept of white supremacy? It's real. It's statistically in every scientifically empirical way possible is demonstrable. Right. But the idea that talking about white supremacy in some way, shape or form promotes white supremacy is just so wrong. On so many levels, that's like that's like the equivalent of saying, like, look, if I talk about the sky being blue, that means that I made the sky blue or something like that. It's like, no, that's this is just an empirical statement. When we talk about white supremacy um, in the social sciences, it's like we're talking about something that is empirically, demonstrably, scientifically valid. (laughs) So I so I don't get that. But. When when people are what but I've heard that argument before is like you know we need to stop talking about race we need to stop talking about white supremacy and I'm like look not talking about white supremacy has gotten us into the situation I would argue has gotten us into the situation that we're in currently and so therefore we need to to actually treat white supremacy like it is right we literally need to talk about white supremacy like it's mundane like 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 i remember literally i think it was probably i mean honestly it was probably about a year ago maybe 2 years ago at the most where i was talking about something and i talked about white supremacy and and the person i was talking to they were a white person and they were kind of like taken aback that i was talking about white supremacy and they were like you know it, it feels like you're going for shock value when you say white supremacy and stuff like that and i'm like what do you mean shock value? There's nothing shocking about white supremacy, like straight up. It's like, I get it. If you're thinking about, you know, Ku Klux Klan members and, and hoods and burning crosses and stuff like that, I get that that's shocking. It should be. We talking about a uh, strange fruit, right? A, a body swinging from trees and stuff like that and burnt at stakes and stuff like that. That's shocking, but that's not the embodiment of white supremacy. Right. It's like the white supremacy is is simply the inherent idea It's like the idea, the ideology that white people are superior. Right. That whiteness is superior to all other races, if you would. Right. And so then that's what we're talking about here. So when we're talking about the baseline of this. Right. And then and therefore, right now, this doesn't mean this is the funny thing is that I'm not talking about white people. I'm talking about whiteness. Right. That whiteness is superior white is superior, right? But white people, they just happen to have the tagline of white, right? And and I can go into a whole thing. Remember, this is my expertise. So I can go into a whole thing, a whole a whole thing about um how uh, groups of people, right, have fought into the category of whiteness in the United States, right? That they didn't start off as white, that would be the Irish, that would be Italians, that would be anyone from any space other than England, right? Every group 
European group has fought into, in some way, shape, or form, had had to fight into the concept of whiteness in the United States. And so then when we talk about whiteness, right, when we talk about white supremacy, we're not talking about anything biologically sustainable even, right? It's like we're talking about an ideology where whiteness is preferred and considered superior um, and whatnot. And it so happens to get connected to people, to to a group of people, right? And so then, you know, and so, you know, take that for whatever it's worth, folks. But that is, right, when we talk about white supremacy, wh- talking about white supremacy should be as mundane as talking about salt and pepper at the dinner table, right? It's like, like, you know, like straight up, like, yo, white supremacy is about this. And could you pass me the salt? That's it. It should literally be like that. Right. Like literally, it should be that mundane that when we start talking about white supremacy and everything, it should be easy. Right. To talk about it, because it is so ordinary to talk about, to, to, to understand that we are live in a in a society that promotes white supremacy, the superiority of whiteness. Jeez Louise, folks, that that was just point A. <laughs> that was just that was just the first one. I still got seven more to go. So <laughs> we'll see how this how, how this goes up from here. But here, okay, so um B, right? It's like that's what they call it. Right. It's like your your diversity program cannot uh, is like cannot talk about how an individual by virtue of his or her race or sex is inherently racist, sexist, or oppressive, whether consciously or unconsciously. Okay. So look, let me help y'all out with that because, uh, see, this is one I definitely disagree with. It's like, we have to talk about this because, but we have to talk about it in a way to where people don't feel like it's only, we're talking about white people, right? It's like, we're also talking about males. We're talking about uh, we're talking about people who are in the higher classes, right? We're talking about a lot of different, we're talking about people with able bodies. We're talking about people who are cisgendered. We're talking about people who are straight, right? Heterosexual, right? This, these are the things, right? That when we're in those categories, we may consciously or unconsciously be, be perpetuating homophobia, transphobia, Right. We may unconsciously, consciously or unconsciously be um, promoting sexism and stuff like that. And so that's real. Right. And like, again, in every empirical scientific way possible is demonstrable. Right. And so but here's here's a shout out on the unconscious part. Right. Is that I do a workshop um, in my classes and talk about how um, left handed people are oppressed and how being right-handed is a privilege in our society. I'm not going to go into the details of that right now, right? Just just understand, right? Just just catch the analogy here that I'm giving you is to say that as a right and when I do this workshop for my students, um very rarely if ever do the right-handed people ever really think about that they are benefiting from having a right-handed world, right? Or that they're contributing to having a right-handed world by making products, right, that benefit right-handed people versus left-handed people and constructing things for right-handed ver- people versus left-handed people, just putting that out there into the universe, right? But here, here's the deal, right? So that's that's happening. That may be happening on a conscious level or an unconscious level. Who knows, right? But here's the thing, right? When, when we are confronted with our privilege, right, if you would, um, Jane Elliott, she's done some amazing work with, she did that, um, 
that research with um, blue eyes and brown eyed kids and stuff like that. And that, she's been known for that. Um, and she made this statement. It's like, you know, I watched some of her stuff. She asked all the white folks in the, in the space, right? She asked all the white folks in this workshop. She was like, how many of you would not care if you were switched to being black? Right. Right. Like how many of you would want to right? Cause saying you want to be black, that's, that's one thing, right? It's like, I don't know if anyone wants to be black, but it's like, would you care? Would you care if you were switched to being black and nobody wanted to be black? Right. No one wanted to be black. And it's like, see, she was like, yo, straight up. See. Right. See, you know, then, you know, then that there is a privilege to being white or that there is something working against black people to where you wouldn't want to be black. Right. And maybe that's not as strong of evidence as you could have in this space, but it's definitely at least hints. Right. Because the idea is that if race doesn't matter. Right. If you truly are colorblind, then it shouldn't matter whether you are white or black. But the fact that you don't want to change suggests something. It suggests that whiteness does have meaning to you, that it does give benefits. And you don't want to change because, you know, in some way, shape or form, whether it's consciously or unconsciously, that being black is seen as lower than. Right. That's that's where we're going with that. Okay. And so with letter C, um, this is saying that your program cannot say that an individual should be discriminated against or receive adverse treatment solely or partly because his or her race or sex. Now, that didn't make a whole bunch of sense to me when I first read it, but now I understand it as basically the affirmative action argument, right? And I'm going to tell you what, Ijeoma Oluo, in the book, so you want to talk about race. She talks about affirmative action. I just think she did it in a very genius way. And so I want to give her props for this of saying it's like, look, folks, right? When we talk about affirmative action, this is about having rep- racially representative demographics for your company or for your school or for your university or stuff like that. It's like whatever it is that whatever the racial demographics are of your neighborhood, of your country, of your of your city, of your state, of your country, it should that should be what you see in all of the institutions, in all of the hiring spaces, right? In all of the jobs, you should see that same basic breakdown, meaning, right? It's like black folks are about 13% of our society. And so that means that across the board in every single uh, job category, you should see about 13% black people in all these job categories. That's what it means to be representational. That's what affirmative action is going for. It's not a quota. It's saying this is the goal. The goal is if we were to eliminate racism, right? If we eliminate white supremacy, then we then we should be able to get to this to where if you see 13% of black people in society, then you should see 13% of black people in corporate America. You should see 13% of black people as owners of the NFL. You should see uh, 13% of black people as um, head coaches um, and things like that. I'm, I look, I'm, I'm, I'm a sports person. So just, just bear with me on that one, folks. Right. And you should see 60% of white people in everything, everything that I just mentioned also. Right. And so, but what Aluo mentions 
which I just think is so genius, right, is that if you are against that, if you're just saying like, oh, well, you're punishing white folks or something like that, then in some way, shape or form, what you're saying then is that white people then deserve in some way, shape or form to be overrepresented in these categories. And the converse being true, right, that people of color deserve to be underrepresented in those spaces also. And so it's like, so then... If you believe that everyone is equal, but you don't see the equal outcomes in society, then what's causing it? Right. That's that's a big takeaway there, folks. Right. Think about that. Right. It's like if you think everyone's equal, then what's causing it? What's causing the difference? Right. And if you say anything that has anything to do with race, you're probably going to go down a pretty racist road right there real quick. Right. And so then D. Right. So your program cannot talk about how members of one race or sex cannot and should not attempt to treat others without respect to race or sex. Okay, again, to me, another convoluted way of just kind of going with this whole colorblind approach. Okay, look, so the colorblind approach to things. Right. I don't see your color. Right. I don't see color. Right. Well, I already poked holes in that in regards to the earlier space and talking about Jane Elliott. And we know that, you know, people don't want to switch their races. Well, it's like if, there, if there's nothing wrong with this, if we're all colorblind, then it shouldn't matter. But that's clearly not the case. And so this colorblind thing is one it's just a straight out lie. We all see color. And so that's a lie Two, Even if we were colorblind. Right. That doesn't mean we don't see the differences between people, that means we truly see things in black and white, right? And shades of gray. Therefore, you could still discriminate on those spaces. As a matter of fact, I got some army dudes that I know that used to talk about how everyone in the army is green, right? That's their big color and everything. And that, that's how they say it. it's like, everyone's green. All of y'all, you know, you're, you're not any races anymore. You're just green. And here's the deal is that all of my people that talked to me in that space, regardless of their race, they were like, look, but there was light green and there was dark green. So y'all could say, people could say whatever they want in those spaces, right? But the idea that colorblind in some way, shape or form is one, desirable, and two, is going to somehow lead to less discrimination is an out-and-out lie, right? It is not in any way, shape or form sustainable or de demonstrable um, uh, empirically in any way, shape, or form. Therefore, right? Therefore, right, to promote this as an idea of this is how we're going to change things when technically, right, we've been doing that, uh, that we've been using that system for probably, what, 40 some odd years now, maybe maybe 50 or maybe 50 or 60, and it hasn't produced, or like, we're in the same situation, right? Arguably even worse than what we've been over these last 50 years or so. I'm going to make more points in that space in just a minute. But if this thing is working, then why are we substantially in the same spaces that we were back then? Look, I get that our opinions have changed about a lot, right? It's like, that's, that's what the research would tell us. It's like, research would tell us that the opinions about, let's say, segregation, right? It's like, segregation is bad. Okay, most the vast majority of Americans believe that, right? Um, the vast majority of Americans believe that interracial marriages are okay to happen. Vast majority of people uh, don't believe that that race should have anything to do with the neighborhoods that you live in and stuff like that. It's like pe people are on board. 
that integration should happen and all of this stuff. It's like people people are on board with these ideas, right? But the reality of it, right, the reality of these spaces is that um, segregation, right, segregation is almost as prevalent now, right? Some would argue it's just as prevalent now as it was back in 19, I think it was 67 when the Fair Housing Act was passed, Right. And so and this is a real thing. This is not some this is empirically scientifically demonstrable. This is not my opinion. This is real. And so then if we are at the same space and we've been using this colorblind ideology, then guess what? We should actually we should think of other ways of doing things if we've been working on this colorblind ideology for 40 plus years and it hasn't changed anything. Right. Um. And every time someone talks about being colorblind, they always quote Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and saying, you know, I want to live in a country one day. I want to see a country where my children will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. That's not what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. meant. <laughs> and we know this. And see, and that's the, and for, for folks, this is the reason why, just in case you're, you're standing in that space and it's okay. We're all growing here. We're all learning. And this is the reason why black folks get so pissed off when white folks started quoting Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is because with with love and respect, that quote has been co-opted and flipped and now has been used as the baseline for color, for a colorblind approach when that's not what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. meant, right? To, to say to not be judged by someone's color is not to say to ignore someone's color, is to say that that's not a factor in what I'm doing to, t- to, to talk to you and to hire you and stuff like that. I just want to focus on your qualification, but that doesn't mean I ignore your culture. I don't mean that I ignore your race or whatever. Ideally, we should get to a space where race is non-existent because social, social is, it is a social construction, and I stand by that. But at the same time, it's like me being black actually means something also. Right. There's there's a lot of my experiences that are born out of the space of me being black and living as a black man in the United States. Therefore, for you to ignore the fact that I'm black is not doing anyone any favors. As a matter of fact. Right. I mean, if we think about this and this was uh, said by um, by Ibram Kendi in the book, um, How to Be an Anti-Racist, that he, he talked about, look, if you if you if you if the idea is that you are colorblind, then that means you don't see racism. And I'm going to tell you right now, racism is a very big deal. It, it, it does exist. So then to say that you are colorblind means that you don't see racism. And that is a big, colossal fail right there. So we we, we, we can't condone that if we about this reteach thing. Right. So you know what? I'm going to have to stop there because I'm looking here and I still got four more points. (laughs) And so we're going to have to do a part two on this one, folks. I did not intend it to go like this, but that's what we're doing right now. And so um, so be ready for part two. And I hope you learned something from part one. Take it easy, folks. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Reteach. If you want to learn more about me or my open source introduction to sociology textbook, please go to brucehoskins.com. In closing, I want to leave us all with a question. If you learned something today that you think would help close your student equity gaps, how long will it take to incorporate this into your classroom? A year? A semester? Next month? Today? No matter the timetable, we must commit ourselves to becoming better teachers. Our students deserve it. All of them. 
not just the ones that are good already, 